Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for being here this morning. And I'll just give a quick disclaimer here before we get going. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Designer Sex. And uh, the reason why we're talking about this is because uh, sex is everywhere. It's all over the TV. Every single newscast I watch, I, I cannot remember one that did not include something about sex, something referring to sex or gender or anything along those lines. And so um, we're talking about it. It's very difficult. It is not popular uh, to talk about it, especially from a biblical perspective. Um, I want you to know that there will be many in this room today who will not like what we teach today. And I, I want you to know that I love you, that I care about you, that um, God loves you and cares about you, and he deeply desires for you to come to an understanding of who he is. And so I, I, I want to tell you, it's okay to wrestle with the scriptures. It's okay to, to wrestle with the scriptures and say, I don't feel that way. I don't believe that way. I don't like this. Um, that's okay. It's okay to walk through it. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, I don't like the way that he said that because it sounded like this or that. I want you to know I'm not going to be a perfect communicator of the word of God. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit um, would speak this morning to you in, in light of this. As I said, um, sex is everywhere. So if, the, if there are uh, young kids in the room and you, you think you might um, be concerned with that, I, I don't know that we have any in the room, but we have a, a kids area in the back, or if they're a little bit older and we don't have a class for them yet, which we'd like to um, uh, before too long, um, you can sit in the back and leave the room uh, when, it, when it gets too, too steamy for you. If it does, I, we're going to try to keep it uh, PG. Um, so this morning, we are talking about sex because sex is everywhere. Let me go through uh, what I went through last week just to kind of give you a synopsis of everything that's going on. Um, there are uh, numerous things happening in the news, most notably the Supreme Court decision this summer uh, to make gay marriage the law of the land. Um, there are other things. Uh, Bruce Jenner uh, choosing to uh, try and change his identity to Caitlyn Jenner. Um, there are uh, children in our schools who are questioning uh, their genderedness and questioning uh, whether they are what they seem to be externally. And our, our school systems and um, our, our government is going along with that. Parents are allowing there to be um, uh, sexual transform transformations and surgeries as a result. Um, there are numerous numerous issues that are going on most, uh, uh, something else notable. Uh, Miley Cyrus uh, came out and said that she's a pansexual. Uh, she she is, is, is not, does not have a gender preference. Um, in, in addition to that, just numerous other stories you know about that. What I said last week was that um, it's really easy as Christians to look out there and say uh, all of those screwed up people out there, but we have our own set of problems. We have our own set of issues, and really we have the same set of problems. We just hide it better sometimes, sometimes. But sometimes it comes out and it makes national news. In fact, it regularly comes out and makes national news when our leaders fall, when people who are notable Christians fall. You've seen the stories, I'm sure. Um, but it's not just those leaders. It's also us uh, personally. We have sex issues 
as well. We, um, as the church, I'm talking about, the everyday person sitting in the pew, we have a major issue, and that is that we think that everyone else has a problem except for me. We think that I can't let my secret out, otherwise people will judge me. I can't tell anybody that I'm struggling with same-sex attraction uh, because I'm, I'm feared that I will be looked down upon, and, so, and that in and of itself is not, uh, is not sin. I should clarify that. that temptation is not sin, but these are things that we need to deal with. We also have issues inside of the church with pornography and affairs and divorce and uh, you name it. There's people probably in this room who are struggling with gender-related issues as well, saying, I'm not sure I, I really feel like a woman, and I'm not sure I really feel like a man. I'm not really sure what I should be in this time. These kinds of things happen on a regular basis. And let me read this again uh, from last week from uh, Trevin Wax. He says, the silence of the Christian church in regards to sexual sin among its members reinforces the societal myth that sexuality can be casual and free of consequences. And if the church does not take sexual sin among its members seriously, how can we speak prophetically to the world about God's good design for sexuality? And really what we end up doing is we end up uh, maximizing everyone else's sin and minimizing our own. Oftentimes, that's what we do. Everyone else has got a sin problem, but I'm going to minimize my own sin. I'm going to minimize what I'm doing and saying that well, my, my struggle is sanctified in some way because I, I call myself a Christian. And in reality, we're all in the same boat. We learned this last week that uh, when God created us, he created us very good. Humankind comes in, Adam and Eve... And they screw everything up as our representatives. And another way to say that would be to say that they are our first parents. They're the ones that are our first parents. And so they set the stage for all things to continue beyond that. So God creates us good. Humanity comes in and sins. And as a result, all of mankind is sinful. And so what we find is that the Bible uh, communicates something called original sin. And that means that the person outside of the church or who wants nothing to do with religion is as fallen as I am without Jesus Christ. And the Christian's responsibility in life is not to go around acting like, hey, look at me, I received Christ and so I'm, I'm a better person. Absolutely not, because the biblical, uh, the, the biblical command essentially says this, that God is the one who saves us and it's not of ourselves. And so we have no reason to be able to look down on anybody else because all of us are in the same boat without Jesus Christ. So we get to go to our culture, as I, as I said towards the end of the sermon, we get to go to our culture and we get to go to them and we get to say, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for my sins, which are many, and he can do the same for you. We are all sinful. We're all in the same boat. And as a result, we can be saved. So what I want to talk about today is I want to get into this idea of gender. We said from the very beginning that we're going to be talking about gender. And really, we need to be firm in the way that we deal with this and understand what the scriptures say about gender because the scriptures clearly communicate this. Just a, a few words on this from uh, again, the Gospel Coalition, which has some great articles, they've got an article called uh, The Nine Things You Should Know About Transgenderism. And uh, transgenderism 
is, uh, the first point that they make is an umbrella term for the state or condition of identifying or expressing a gender identity that does not match a person's physical or genetic sex. Transgender is independent of sexual orientation, and those who self-identify as transgender may consider themselves to be heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, polysexual, or asexual. There's a lot of people who are dealing with this as well. About 700,000 in the United States identify as transgender. Transgenderism is different from uh, uh, intersex. It's a variation in sex characteristics, including chromosomes, gonads, or genitals that do not allow an individual to be distinctly identified as male or female. Intersex is a physical condition, while transgender is a psychological condition. The vast majority of people with intersex conditions identify as male or female rather than transgender or transsexual. Number three says this, uh, transsexual is a narrower term than transgender, uh, used to refer to people who identify as the opposite of their birth gender designation, regardless of whether they have undergone or intend to undergo hormone replacement therapy and or sex reassignment surgery. And I'll just skip to the end here. In the 1960s, uh, John Hopkins University became the first American medical center uh, to offer same-sex reassignment surgery, but they later stopped performing the procedure after a study on transgendered people uh, in the uh, uh, on transgendered people in the 1970s. The study compared the outcomes of transgendered people uh, who had the surgery with the outcomes of those who did not. Most of the surgically treated patients described themselves as satisfied by the results but their subsequent uh, psychosocial adjustments were no better than those who didn't have the surgery. And as a result, they decided not to do the surgery anymore because there was no advantage to it. They were essentially the same in that respect. Second to the last thing. When children who reported transgender feelings were tracked without medical or surgical treatment at both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic, 70 to 80% of them spontaneously lost those feelings. Some 25% did have persisting feelings, notes Dr. McHugh. But what differentiates those individuals remains to be discerned. Despite such studies, several states, including California, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, have passed laws barring psychiatrists, even with parental permission, from striving to restore natural gender feelings to transgender to a transgender minor. Even though the studies show that these feelings go away, our culture is very quickly saying, oh, you feel that way? Let's treat you that way and let's, let's continue to push you in that way. In spite of the fact that it has serious repercussions later on in life. A 2011 study at uh, Karlovinska uh, Institute of uh, Sweden followed 324 people who had sex reassignment surgery, 191 males to females and 133 females to males. From 1973 to 2003, the overall rate of death was higher than expected, with suicide being the leading cause. The leading cause. 
those who had had the sex change surgery were also 20 times more likely to take their own lives than the non-transgender population. They were also more likely to seek in-house treatment for psychiatric conditions. 20 times more likely to commit suicide. Now, let me tell you. I want to tell you why. I'm going to give away the end of the sermon. The reason why this is is because God has created them in a specific way. And there's no doubt that there are variations in birth defects, such as intersex. There's no doubt that people grow up and they feel like, there's 25% there that continue to feel like, I feel like I'm the opposite gender. But let me just tell you, the answer to that problem is not to say, no, in spite of the biology, in, in spite of the scientific proof, in spite of the surveys, in spite of all of that, uh, let's, let's continue to push you in this direction towards the opposite sex. That is not the answer. Because in, inside of them, encoded in them, in their chromosomes, and even deeper than that, spiritually, being knit together in their mo mother's womb by God, what's taking place is this, is that they're working against, they're rejecting the creation of God and the image of God in this person. Now, let me just tell you, those people who struggle with transgender issues, who have gender confusion, are to be loved, are to be accepted. They, they can come into our church. They can be a part of our church. And just like anybody else that we would ask, we'd ask somebody not to be disruptive. But the truth is that they're allowed to be in our church. They're allowed to struggle here. They're allowed to be a, a, a part of this and to investigate who God is. And we need to love them and care about them. And when it comes to our work, many of you work in the state. We have a lot of state workers in our city. Or you work in large companies where this type of stuff is a big deal. Like you need to make very sure that you are loving and caring in the same way that Jesus was to the woman at the well who would have been a, a pariah in her society, loving her, talking with her truthfully, but loving her. We need to be those kinds of people. But sadly, our problem has been to stiff-arm people who are struggling in this way, to stiff-arm them and to say, no, you don't count, you're going to hell. But what we all need to understand is that none of these people who are dealing with these issues, just like you wouldn't have chosen your sin of choice. Most of us in here, if we, if, if we know Jesus, we understand him. If you have a, a, a choice sin, that is, I always end up sinning in this way, you would not have chosen that. You'd be like Paul and you'd say, God, take this thorn from me. And that's what many of these people are like as well. And they're saying, if, if I could be normal like everyone else, I would like to be. If I could not struggle with this, then I would like to do that. They're stuck, and no one has been loving enough. No one has been caring enough who knows the gospel, who knows the word of God, to come around them, bless them, celebrate with them, care for them, and lead them to truth kindly. This is what is required of us. And so we must look into this very deeply to understand the roots of this. As I said, this will be um, 
It probably will be a difficult uh, sermon uh, for many of us because when we're talking about the image of God, um, we're talking about some very specific things that have um, implications that are way far out from the very beginning. So let's look at this real quick. Uh, Why should I care about being made in the image of God? As I said this last week, if you don't get this concept, you miss everything. All of God's commands to us find their beginning in God and his nature. All of God's commands to us find their beginning in God and in his nature. That's why we come back so often to Genesis. Well, how did the thing start? How did it begin? That's what happens in any type of situation, an investigation or the intended use of, of, of something or what have you. We'd say, well, how did it begin? Well, it began this way, and so this is what its intended use was. And so we need to go back and read the directions to find out exactly how to use this program or how to use this tool. And in the same way, God has created us in that way. In fact, M.L. Brunner says this, the doctrine of the image of God determines the fate of every other theology. The doctrine of the image of God determines the fate of every other theology. And let me, let me help you understand something here real quick. What you believe corresponds to how you act. What you believe will directly come out and how you act, and how you treat other people. What you believe will come out. And many of us, if not all of us, are so confused on what we believe. We're so confused. Some of you believe that, like, if I disagree with them, and if the Bible teaches against this, many of us don't even know why the Bible teaches against something, then therefore I have to hate somebody who isn't like me. But that's not what God is asking you to do at all. And some of us are saying, I want nothing to do with the hate of of this because I know someone who's struggling with these issues and I love that person and God is love and so I'm going to be loving to them. And the truth is that neither of these positions oftentimes are based on a true understanding of God. Like, you have to get this to understand who God is and to understand what he's done means that it helps you not be hateful and not be somebody who says, Whatever, whatever's fine, whatever goes, and sacrifice biblical principles. Both of, both of those viewpoints sacrifice biblical principles. God has projected himself upon us. We are not projecting ourselves on God. God has projected himself on us through his image, not the other way around. So when we're having conversations and we're saying, that doesn't seem right to me, I don't think that God should be this way, and I don't think that's what the scriptures say, because I see in my world this, that is to project on God what I believe about God, and to not receive from him what he says is true. See, you can take, um, you know, this bottle of water, and you can say, you know what, Um, I really believe that this is gasoline, 
So I'm going to pour this into my car. But it doesn't matter how many times you do that or how much you hope that it does that. Its intended use and its created use is not to make your car go. Well, it works in my body, and so therefore it should work in my car. But that, it, it's not true. It will shut your car down. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? God has designed us in such a way that his product will operate at the most supreme level when it's done in his way. It is the way to human flourishing. What God has set into motion is the way for humanity to flourish. This is why we are not in favor of murder on the streets. It's not just because I don't like being killed, but it's because it is what is right. It's not right for somebody else to be killed. It's not right for me to kill somebody else. But this is God's law that's coming through to us. And we say humanity will flourish as a result when less people are killed. But the truth is, is that our society doesn't recognize this. We have a society of death. We kill our infants. We murder each other for money, power, sex, out of anger. And then when someone is no longer useful, we allow them to have their doctor kill them. Physician-assisted suicide. We have a culture of death. But God has a culture of life. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they would have it to the full. So do you receive this or don't you? And I just kind of want to set you up. I might take the whole sermon to do this. I'm going to set you up. Like, will you receive what Jesus has for you? Or will you project back onto God and say, I don't like what you have to say, and so I'm going to tell you? I mean, it's, it's one or the other. We cannot project onto God. This also means that when we look at God, we understand more about ourselves. When you understand who God is, and then you take and you, and, and you see that corresponding evidence in your life, and you go, oh, that's why this. That's why I desire that. That's why I want to see this happen in my marriage, or in my singleness, or in life. We got to first know God. We cannot look at ourselves and project on to God as a result. Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you 
every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given to man, by the way, every uh, green plant for food. And it was so. So God speaks, it happens. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, humanity, man, which represents man and woman, is the pinnacle of God's creation. Nothing else is said to have been made in the image of God. There's no other creature. But let me just tell you, you cannot go to jail for killing a child in the womb today. But you can go to jail for killing a cat. And that's messed up. That is messed up. Our culture is consistently pushing away the image of God. We want to separate ourselves. Romans 1 talks about this, how we're trying to suppress the truth about God. It says that we as people are trying to keep God down. We do not want that to invade into our society. We do not want to acknowledge God. And so as a result, we're going to push away the image of God. And so what we need to do as God's people is to say, we need to let the image of God into our lives. And we need to see that being created in, in the image of God promotes human flourishing and lives that reflect who God is with graciousness and compassion for those who have not discovered this yet. So there's three great equalities between man and woman. As we saw, we see two genders, we see two roles, but we see one purpose. There's two genders, there's two different roles, but there's one purpose. So these two genders, as we said, are male and female, and they are equal in three primary ways. As I said, men and women alike are created in the image of God. This is uh, from Greg Allison. I was just in a class with him this weekend. He happened to be teaching on this, and so I'm using some of his points. It went right along with what I was working on. So Greg Allison uh, from the West Pastors School through Acts 29. He says, men and women alike are created in the image of God. No other creature shares image bearing with God. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Why is the, should we take care of the environment? Yes, because we have dominion over it. Should environment overtake humanity? No, because humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. Now, there's ways to work that out, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But man and woman alike are created in the image of God. How are we created in, in the image of God? There's a likeness, meaning this, that we have dominion. God expands his dominion over his creation through humanity multiplying and subduing. Through humanity multiplying and subduing the world around us. That is what God has called us to do. That is why he created us. That's not a political view. That's a creation view. What does it mean to subdue? I think that's something that we'd have to look at. But it, it looks like this for me. I subdue my yard. All right? I don't allow blackberry bushes. I mow the grass, 
maybe five times a week. I love to mow grass. I subdue it. I am really operating in the image of God, right? But I, I love this. God has created us to work the ground. As image bearers, God has said, I want you to have dominion and I want you to subdue. And one of the ways that we image God is by subduing and multiplying, creating little, uh, little suckers to be run around on our property and wherever else through a very pleasurable event, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. But men and women alike are created in the image of God. To say that gender is a social construct, meaning created by our culture, to say that gender is a social construct is to try and defame the goodness of God's creation of two image bearers. Two image bearers. To say that this isn't from God, that there is no God, and just gender is just kind of happenstance, is to deny the goodness of God in the creation of two image bearers. Image bearing comes from God, not from man to woman, but directly from God. So a woman doesn't derive her image bearing ability from man, even though she is created through the rib of man and, 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 and God. Um, you know, creating her. However, her image bearing comes directly from God to both man and woman. The ultimate meaning of humanity to be human is man and woman. Man and woman make up humanity. So gender is intricately a part of the idea of what it means to be an image bearer. Secondly, as I said, three great equalities, men and women alike, uh, experience salvation in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. He's speaking to the church. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're all one? We're all exactly the same? No, it means this. It means in the area of salvation, we are equal and we are alike, and that we equally have access to salvation and all the benefits of salvation. What this means is that it, it, it is not pertaining to our role, but it has to do with salvation. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Paul uses uh, this statement, I'm sorry, Peter uses this statement, saying that they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They're equal in this sense of salvation, and when you do not treat them with grace... When you do not treat them as women, what happens is this, that your prayers are hindered. There's something about your prayers that are going to be hindered when you're rude or when you're talking down to or when you're mistreating your wife. Men and women alike are equal in salvation through Jesus Christ. And then lastly in this, men and women alike are empowered by the Holy Spirit and given spiritual gifts. Men and women alike, there's... It's given to all. There's no gender-specific gifts in that sense. We all have gifts from the Holy Spirit. 
So we're alike in these three great ways. Three great ways. God's plan for the world, therefore, engages both men and women. This means that men, as well as women, are to be deeply engaged in bringing glory to God with how we spread his fame and his glory throughout our culture. Both men and women alike are to be involved in this. What this means is that we cannot minimize or overlook our women in our church. We cannot minimize your role here. I talked about this last Mother's Day saying we want to pursue you to be a part of the everyday life of the church. We want to pursue you because your gifts matter. Your role matters. We are humanity essentially in its fullness when we're working together in our proper roles. We cannot overlook you. You have a role here and we want to pursue you to be a part of it. And lastly, no one, neither men nor women, can abdicate their responsibilities. If men are not being dads, that's creating a problem. If women are not being wives, that's a problem. We, we do know that some of us have grown up in homes where we didn't have a dad. Or maybe you didn't have a mom. And you felt you felt something missing perhaps. That's not to say that your mother or your father did not do an excellent job in raising you. In fact, God has given grace to many people that I know who've, especially who've grown up without dads, who've turned out to be phenomenal people and God has used your mother to do that. Bless her heart. That's a fantastic thing. But God's best for human flourishing and I believe that that mother would agree that God's best would be that there would be a man who loves Jesus alongside of her, treats her with care as a result. When we abdicate our responsibilities as men or women, we're not fulfilling God's command to image him, to be like him. We're not going along with and cooperating with who he is. Next thing. We are equal as image bearers, as I've stated but we have different roles. And this is where it gets sticky because our culture is all about men and women being the same. And I want to tell you this, that this is also in the church. And I believe that it um, goes against the very root of creation and the image of God in us. Very good people, very nice people, and, and even some very godly people believe things other than what I believe, what we believe as a church but I want you to know that I'm going to communicate this in a way uh, that I believe is fully biblical and yet difficult for you to hear. Let me read for you uh, a couple of very difficult passages here. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 3. We're going for it. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the tr traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty tough. Let me keep reading here. Don't walk out yet. Um, 1 Corinthians, again, 11, 8 through 9. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. 
Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Well, we talked about these equalities, but it also means this, that there are different roles. And that when we function outside of these roles, when men try to act like women and when women try to act like men, there's a, there's a disparity. There's a dissonance that happens that says, that's not the way that God created you to operate. And that's also not the way that God has created the family to operate or even a single person to operate. You're acting outside of the role that God has given you. Can you see the connection here? We're talking about transgenderism or transsexualism, and it extends all the way into, now we're into what is called complementarianism. This is a theology. This is deeply rooted in the scriptures. What you believe matters. What you believe comes out in what you do and how you act. You must understand this. So let me give you a, a couple things here from Denny Burke, who wrote a book, What is the Meaning of Sex? These are things I've taught through before. I believe he outlined them in a better way than I would have. That's why I'm using it. He says, first, God creates Adam before he, he creates the woman. So why would we say that there's different roles, that Adam is the head or that he's the leader in the relationship, and why would we say that the woman is subordinate to him? Hard word, difficult word. Subordination, submission. Man, those things will get you shot outside of these doors, right? Those are difficult. Guess what? I'm not teaching so that people like me. I want you to like me. I do. I'll invite you over to my house, give you lots of meat, maybe some beer, in hopes of that. But at the end of the day, I have to teach the word. I just have to. That's, that's the way it has to be. And I, what I'm asking for is I, give me a fair hearing. I'm, just, I, I'm not going to tell you lies. I'm not going to tell you lies. Why is the man the head in the relationship? For, let, let, let me first get after something else here. Why do we reject that? Because we've been screwing up. Male, as a race... Because it's not a race, but as part of the race, right? Our half, we've been morons, right? We, we've been jerks. We, we just need to take, maybe you weren't. You haven't even been married yet, Ricky, I know. You haven't done anything. You haven't walked out on your wife, whatever. I don't even know if there's hope for you to get married, but that's, that's besides the point. But... Guys, the sexual abuse, physical abuse, beating their wives up, yelling at them, refusing to work sometimes. How about just the little irritating things, girls? Like, I just want him to come up with an idea to take me out, right? But I'm one of those jerks. Because my wife said to me last week, I want you to come up with the plan. And I'm like, okay, I'll come up with a plan. What do you want to do? <laughs> That's ha that happens to be my dumb plan. That was, that was, I came up with that in all of like two seconds, right? This is, this is what I've come up with, right? What's, what's our problem? And, and, and woman, that, don't take that in, in the wrong way, ladies, how about that? <laughs> foot and mouth. Okay. Uh, 
ladies, gals, what do you want from that guy? Most of us, not everybody, but most of us, I'm including myself as a woman now, this is getting even worse, but <laughs> most of you want your guy to love you. You want your guy to lead. You're asking him to. So what does feminine, feminism say? It says men haven't led, and so forget them. There's just equality, and so therefore everything should be equal. Roles, responsibilities, everything. There's no difference. But the truth is that we know that there's a difference. We know that there are key differences. I mean, just to begin with, I mean, like, the two shall become one. I mean, think about it. There's a big difference there, right? There's a way that we, that we can make children together in a way that other ways can't happen, right? So there's a difference, and it's a God-ordained difference. And that difference is imprinted on you. And I just want to tell you, I don't like the idea that somehow we have different roles because I don't like telling you that, right? I don't want to be the bearer of bad news and go against our culture completely. But I do need to tell you this because this is the truth from God's word. God creates Adam before he creates the woman. What this, this shows, this shows leadership. And you might say, well, that's kind of whatever. But you need to understand firstborn sons have authority in the home the way the other, other kids didn't. Throughout history, firstborn has something to do with this, right? So Adam is the firstborn. God forms Adam first, then Eve. Adam is given the position of authority, Kenneth Matthews argues the priority of man's creation is important for recognizing leadership-followership in the garden. So, number one, Adam is the head because he's been created before the woman. Second, God holds Adam accountable for breaking God's word. God holds Adam accountable, not Eve. Do you remember the story? The serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And she says, no, God said this. And he says, no, he knows that you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You're going to be able to determine what's right and wrong, Eve. He lies to Eve. Eve goes and sees the fruit, says it, it, it's good for eating and desirable. So she takes a bite, and then she hands some, some to Adam. And what we always say about this passage is this, is that oftentimes men are standing around with their mouth open passively within the context of their marriages. Not because their wife is always handing them some sinful apple or something like that, but because they're just passively not taking anything on. They're not coming up with the, the, the date plan. They're not taking the lead in leading their kids. We're being jerks. We're not providing for our wives financially. We're deciding, I'm going to spend money on this, but you can't spend money on that. I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do whatever I want. I'm co I've come home after work. I'm just going to sit and do nothing. I'm going to make you do all the work because I'm the man. We sit passively around doing whatever we want, and that was Adam's fault. But God says that Adam is the lead, and so he comes to Adam and he says, essentially, you're at fault. If you want to look 
with me real quick from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It is, we've already talked from chapter 1, verse uh, 26 and following. Now we go to chapter 2 and the story is told again in more detail. And so here's the story. Verse 15 of chapter 2 in Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying... You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God tells Adam, hey, Adam, here is the rule book. It's one page. In fact, it's not even one page. It's just one line. Adam, don't eat from that tree. Then, after that, Adam has the information. Adam knows the word of God. Adam uh, is the one who's leading in this. Eve is created then. Look at verse uh, 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Adam is created. He's given the word of God. He's told not to eat from that tree. Eve is created after that. Adam's responsibility as the firstborn. Men, your responsibility as the man and the relationship is to communicate the word of God. Does this mean that the woman can't? No, and you should. You got an ungodly husband. He's got a sin issue. You should come right back at him and just say, I love you. I want to help you because you're a helper, by the way. And you should, I want to help you get on the right track. You should say that to him. But men, your responsibility is to be leading your wife in righteousness, to be leading her in the word of God. And what's happening here is that Adam doesn't do that and God holds him accountable, not Eve, even though Eve is the one who sinned. Eve is the one who sinned first, but he holds Adam accountable. And we see that in the following verses. Verse 8 of chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And what's God saying through that? He's saying, Adam, put your wife aside here for a second. Where are you? You're responsible for this. Guys, the reason why I'm communicating this to you is this. You have a role. Gender is not interchangeable. God has created you for a purpose. And when you change that up, not only do you get problems with individuals who are saying, I'm questioning my gender and creating all kinds of additional problems by saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I wasn't really thinking that you were that great of a, of a person like this to begin with. I mean, what, that is awful. You also get problems in your marriage because you're not leading your marriage correctly. Because being created in the image of God means that you have a role and a responsibility within the context of your gender that images who God is and how he's created you. Third, God designates the woman to be the helper to Adam. Chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is another reason why Adam, leader... Eve, wife, helper. She's there to assist him. When you go on in, into marriage here in these passages, it says, and the two shall become one flesh. 
Oftentimes people push back on this, but you have to understand that within the context of our relationship between me and my wife, we are not two separate individuals. We are one flesh. And our one fleshness happens both physically, but it also happens spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We're one together. And so what that means is that I'm not operating on my own, doing something independent of my wife. When marriage is breaking down, that is what's happening. But when marriage is functioning correctly within the image of God, here, the, the truth is, is that I, I'm leading as the head of the home, and I'm, and I'm listening to her, and I'm bringing her alongside of me, and I'm asking her uh, to speak to me, and I'm asking her to be a part of this. And I, I just want to tell you that without my wife as my helper, I, I, I do not believe I'd be standing here today, okay? My wife is an amazing helper to me. I need to keep going. Fourth, Adam names Eve. First he calls her woman, writes a poem about her. That's nice, right? And he, then he names her Eve. God gives her, or I'm sorry, him, the responsibility to name her. Naming has to do with authority. Fifth, the serpent's attack represented a subversion of God's pattern of leadership. It went from God to Adam to the woman. When things got out of whack, it went from the serpent to the woman to the man. It was in the wrong direction. Your marriage is going backwards when it's running in that direction. I want to tell you women this, that just because this happened to Eve doesn't mean it needs to happen to you, right? Say the same thing to men. Just because Eve listened to the serpent doesn't mean that you have to do that. All of us are responsible in that. But let me just tell you, ladies, you can lead, or I should say this, help your husband become the leader that he is to be by being a godly woman. There's so many passages that we could go into, but to love him, to cherish him, to respect him in and through this, even through the difficulty of him being a flat-out jerk, right? Lastly, let me say this. This idea of headship and helpership is very difficult to understand, but I want to I tell you this. Leadership is turned on its head in the scriptures. Leadership is turned on its head. The domineering woman, make me a sandwich. Do for me whatever I want you to. I saw an absurd article the other day that said that this viewpoint, that is a biblical viewpoint, led to all of these Christian men uh, getting onto the Ashley Madison website and somehow complementarianism has caused this. That is so stinking absurd. That is so absurd. Here's the truth. In Ephesians 5, yes, he tells the wife, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But he says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husband, your job is to die, right? Your, your job is to do whatever it takes so that your wife feels and knows and believes that she is loved. Your leadership does not include you coming over top of her and telling her this, that, or the other thing. There may be a time 
where you need to say strongly, this is what I believe is true, and lovingly, this is what I believe is true in our marriage, and I want to encourage you, wife, to follow me in this direction. But I would say more often than not, that has to be exemplified through love and care and to lead your wife gently and just say, I long to lead you in the way that God wants me to. How can I do this? How can I help you? And and what can you do to help me in leading you? My wife is so helpful. I just, I, I can't even tell you. Like, I pray for all of our women, that you would reflect um, Jesus, number one. But look and consider my wife. Consider who she is because she loves me intently, but she's strong enough to confront me, and I love that. And as the leader and as the head of my home, I must listen to her. I have to get down so low, and I have to get so far down, not because I'm beat down, but because I choose to. Jesus wasn't told that he had to do this. Jesus went willingly to the cross. And so men, we're going willingly to our cross, which is dying for our wives. And ladies, you can respect, and I want to tell you what I think this looks like, to build up your husband. To say, even if his hair is falling out, say, you've got beautiful hair. There's, you know, wow, you're looking muscular. Not just superficial things like that. But to notice things about him, just say, you know what, I saw what you did with the kids there, and that was great leadership. I love that about you. I love it when my wife encourages me because it's helpful to me. She's being a help. And you know what? We're not in life individually. I'm not just doing my thing and her doing her thing. When that happens, and she feels that way especially, she feels, I just feel like we're disconnected. We're not one flesh. We're not together in this. So we need to be together in the midst of this. Why? Because the image of God in us dictates that there are two genders and that there are two roles, but there is one purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. So what does this mean? It means that people that that struggle with gender confusion need to be loved and cared about. You need to share your secret with somebody close. I'd love to hear your story. You will not be cast out. No one else will find out. We love you. We care about you. We want to help you on down that road, give you tools to, uh, to work with, to pray with you, to mourn with you, um, areas that, that should be mourned over. For those of you that are not reflecting the image of God in your relationship with your husband and with your wife, I want to encourage you much of your difficulty in your marriage is coming from this, this issue, this issue. For those of you who are singles, I want to tell you that you're not incomplete because you're not married. You are able to bring glory to God through the body of Christ, as we all are, as a family member here, both men and women who are single glorify Christ through their gender within the context of this family by using the gifts and the roles that God has given them. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be better in relationship. Jesus went to the cross to show us how to live in relationship. And I thank him for that so much and I pray that you do as well. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we ask for great understanding of these things. I pray that you would teach us um, how to understand our gender more clearly. Lord, I pray that we would be loving and caring about those who, who may be obviously transgendered. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would especially be loving and caring towards everyone, knowing that there are some among us who may be struggling with this. Lord, I pray that we would speak into them and just say, God loves them and I love them and we love them so much. They don't have to change to be acceptable to God. They are who they are in God and in his image. Lord, we thank you for this. It's in your name we pray, amen.